we did until now is we had a basic overview of what, why, why learning Gemara is different from any other type of limud. Because the goal and the structure, the way that it's designed, is not specifically to teach you information, even though, of course, that's a highly important part, but to teach you how to process the information. And therefore, there is no Gemara. We have to be able to reproduce what the Gemara is trying to do in order to get the real lesson that the Amorim wanted to teach us. It's called Shimush Chachamim. We then said that the any text has to be able to, to be analyzed, you need to be able to defeat that, that ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student. If you probably by now you've forgotten his name and he's uh, back in charge. And this of course by some small chance you still recall who the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student uh, <laughs> Vagueness. So you want to defeat him and annihilate him and decimate him and destroy him. So what you have to do is you have to come up with some type of system which avoids even the vaguest possibility of him ever coming into your realm. And therefore, every text has to have a precise methodology of analysis. And to do this, you need to be able to focus on that famous word by now called Structopop. And Structopop divides textual analysis into three crucial points, which are structure, having a clear understanding of the text, powerful questioning, trying to engage in the knowledge and not to accept it like a bunch of shepsalach, and paradigm shift, trying to move away from your own conceptual cage, break out of it, and see things in a very new and different light. And we discussed the 353 mission analysis technique whereby you are able to go through the Mishnah and that's what we played around with last time where we engaged in a lot of discussion trying to apply those rules to the Mishnah. Correct? So far so good. What I'd like to speak to you today about is now we're getting onto the Gemara. We haven't yet got onto Rashi, we haven't yet got onto Tosis, we haven't yet got onto the Rishonim. There's a lot more to do. But just to get onto the basic way of analyzing the Gemara. Now, Again, the whole point that we're trying to achieve over here is that it's easy to be able to learn if it's become part of you and you started from a young age, but it's very difficult to actually explain what you're doing. So what you want to do is you want to develop the vocabulary which allows you to give to others what you already know how to do yourself. So you're looking for vocabularies. Now when you go through the Gemara, so each part of the Gemara has got a different direction, different flow. Very often, these parts of the Gemara, if not almost always, will be indicated by a katak. You're aware of what a katak is? <laughs> Surely you know what a katak is? No. Wow. A katak. Not surprising. I made up the word myself. A katak. A katak is a crucial. It's a crucial C. It's a critical. And it's a key. key. It's a key Talmudic key phrase. Now, Ravina Ravashi did something which was, which was an amazing tova for us, an extremely powerful way of organizing a complex body of information. They knew that this, the way that the argument twists and turns is very difficult. So what they did was they designed a standard toolbox of key phrases which before the argument takes a turn, they warn you about which way it's going. Those keywords have a very limited amount. There's, a, there's not that many of them. 
and therefore any person that knows those keywords can journey through shas and be able to assemble the structure of any given chakra entire because he knows that a minah hanimini is an information question seeking a scriptural source to the Bavdin. He knows Eitzvay is an attack from one Amora to another based on a scriptural or a Tanaic source. He knows that Maskif is an attack from one Amora against another Amora based on logic. And then he gets to the Gemara of Matthias and gets confused. But Al-Kulpanim, he knows that when he sees that word, his mind already has become prepared for what's going to happen next. Now, if you're dealing with someone who doesn't know those keywords, he's at a massive disadvantage because the Gemara is giving him the, the, the way, the assistance, the help to know what to think next. So before he even sees what's going to happen, he knows what's going to happen. However, if you don't create a conscious awareness of what those phrases mean and you can't clearly define their function in the sugya, so then you won't have the clarity that we're trying to achieve. So I strongly suggest that you make it a point to learn exactly what the function of each and every key phrase is and to come up with some type of eloquent, um, accurate description so that when you're teaching someone you can say to them, Aha! Here we have a Tanya Nami Hachi. Tanya Nami Hachi is Tanya, Bryce, Nami like this as well, like this. So it's coming to corroborate to substantiate. Its function is a proof and is coming to substantiate a case that Namora said, Namora is of a lower level, so his words need to be substantiated because there's some suffix in them. So Tanya Namiachi reinforces that this which I've stated is in fact verified by a Tanaic source. So now when every time there onwards, when he sees Tanya Namiachi, bing, 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 Tanya Namiachi means this, he knows what's going to happen next. He feels confident, he feels empowered in his study of Gemara. If you say to him, and what does Tanya Namiachi mean? And he goes, it's a price, it's bringing a price. Why is it bringing a price? Eh, Gemara needs to bring a price. Doesn't help. You have to say it because the price is more authoritative than Namiachi, and therefore it's coming as a proof. So knowing these key phrases and being able to drill them into your Talmudim is a crucial thing. Do not let him get away with a vague definition of a key phrase. Are you following me? So just as if you want the best, in terms of dictionaries of key phrases, if you ever want a very clear definition of the key phrases, there's a dictionary called the Practical Talmudic Dictionary. I think it's authored by someone called Someone Someone Frank. It's not his first name, it's his second name. Don't get confused. Yitzchak Frank. He's got a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant dictionary of these key phrases. And it's worthwhile going and looking up his definitions because it gives us the clarity that sometimes we're lost for words of as hard to describe the function of the key phrase. When you read it, he just puts it across so beautifully and then you can learn it and then you can give it over to a Talmudian and then you can bring clarity into the world and defeat the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student who is... That's what I thought. Now... So the, the Ariel Dictionary. So now, what you want to do now is you've got the Gemara in front of you. So what's step one? You've got a Sugya and now you have to learn a Sugya. So what do you do? So the first thing you want to do is you want to teach your Talmudim. You want to say to them, listen, do not be intimidated by the, the Sugya in front of you. The first thing you do is read through the Gemara in the loudest, happiest voice you can possibly muster up until from one top, from the, you know, if it's, if it's generally from two dots to two dots, that's, that's a sugya. If it's a long sugya, so stop where it stops naturally. And read through that. So step one is this is trying to get down the structure. 
in Gemara. So for structure, you read and translate, R&T, three times, and you do it besimcha, and also loud. Now you'll, you'll say to me, why do you have to do it besimcha now? It's, listen, you can't force the simcha part. <laughs> Be besimcha! doesn't work, but you can get the guy to say it loud. Because when you tell someone to do something with a volume, you can't do something loud unless you're convinced to, uh, about what you're saying. When you're not sure about what you're saying, so the volume of your voice decreases. But if I say to you, say it to me loud! So what happens is, your subconscious brain is forced to make punctuation marks in the text. So you're actually forced to process the information and understand what's going on in the sugya. Now anyone that's got the rhythm of the Gemara, I can give you a Gemara that you've never seen before, and you'll be able to read through it and punctuate it perfectly, even though you have not a clue what the sugya is saying, because you develop a rhythm from the Gemara. When you read through the Gemara three times, even though you don't understand a single word in the sugya, by the third time, you've probably got a decent idea of what's going on in the sugya. You'll be missing a few of the protein and the accuracy, but you'll have a sense of where the sugya is going. So the first thing you want to do is you want to get them to have a feel for where the sugya is going. You do that by reading it through three times, four times, five times, generally no zitzvah for that, but at least three times in a loud voice, again and again and again. And every single time you'll see there'll be subtle things. You'll misread the, the first time, you'll misread a sentence. The second time, you'll correct it. Something else will put in place. Now what this does is it already prepares the mind. Your brain's much cleverer than you think. So when you're teaching this Tommy to do it, when he reads it through three times, he's already got a lot of information in his mind. Huge amounts of Torah have sunken into that head. And what happens is when you read it through, it starts to make linky, link, links with what's already in his mind, and he starts to make association, and he starts to build up subconsciously an understanding. So just by reading it through, not attempting to understand, and not even bothered by words that he can't translate, he already starts to build a feast on the sugya. So step number one is R and T. Read through and translate three times. You following me? The next thing you want to do is you want to squatterize the sugya. Now, squatter. So squatter is a is not a man that sits into your house in Baba Basra, but oh, in South Africa, pretty much wherever you go. But squatter, squatter is a um, is it's based on the Ramchal. The Ramchal has 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 this whole book, which 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 I don't know. I think if you take it very seriously, so it could drive you to the brink of insanity. But there's definitely enormous amounts of valuable information. He's got a book called Derech, not Dastfunis, Derech Tfunis. And in this book he goes through every possible way of describing any possible part in the sugya. And he's got this sheet which is about this big with tiny writing of all the possible different permutations of how all the sugyas could be and different categorizations of how they look out. So we won't go into that detail because I think it becomes too confusing and too technical for the average person. But from the Ramchal, we're going to discount his seven primary elements of debate and we're going to make them into six. And the reason why it's squat is because it just it, it sounds good. So squat stands for six primary elements of debate. Statement, kasha, question, answer, teret, and araya. With those six labels, you'll be equipped to name every single part of the Gemara you've got. Any single part of the Gemara will either be a statement, a question, answer, terrorist, and around. I'll explain to you what these things are. 
but you won't be left for words. In other words, you'll be able to find the structure of the sugya because you'll say, well, the sugya starts off with a statement and then there's a question that's followed by an answer, then there's a kasha with a teretz with a raya. And then you have clarity, you said there are five parts of the sugya, the sugya is made up of, and then you go through the parts one by one by one. It's in your hand, you feel confident, he feels confident, he feels empowered, he feels that he's walking away with something which is clear. So now what are these things? So the first thing is a statement. The statement is a memra. It's any statement of chidush, whether it be Tanaik or Amoraic. In other words, a Mishnah, a Brisa is a statement. A memra of an Amor is a statement. Statement is a presentation of a chidush. That's its role in the sugya. All these things are really the function in the sugya. In other words, you can use a brice as a, as, as a kasha and you can use a brice as a raya. A statement is when the brice is presented as a fact of chidush. We're saying this as something new. Now you have to realize, this is a point which is obvious, but I'll just emphasize it, that every time, and we said in the Mishnah, every time any statement is presented, it's obviously a chidush. Because otherwise, pshitamayko mashmalon. So it's a statement, which is obviously a chidush, presenting the Gemara. The next thing is a kasha. A kasha is a difficulty. There's a problem with any of these parts. It can be a problem with a question, a problem with an answer, a problem with a terrorist, a problem with a raya, a problem with a statement. And it's a problem in logic. Or it's a problem from an external source. Either of those two categories fit under kasha. There's something difficult. Kasha means difficult. There's something difficult with something above. So it goes on engaged and says, you can't say that, that makes no sense. It's a difficulty. Good? Kasha is a difficulty. A question is not a kasha. A question is a search for information. Search for information means there's nothing wrong, I just don't know it. For example, for example, a question is, what is the time? I don't have a difficulty with the time. Just simply asking, I lack information, I don't know what the time is. That's what the question is. A kasha is, oh my gosh, look at the time, it's so late. How did it get so late? A question is, um, why are you wearing a dark black jacket in the middle of summer? Information. Now the truth is, that's a kasha. <laughs> are you following me? So, there's a kasha and a question. A question seeks information, it doesn't have an agenda, simply doesn't know. Now, the, the truth is you can subdivide. There's two types of questions. There's a question which simply seeks information. Me no hanimini. I don't know. Where's the makor? Then there's another type of question which is niboilahu, which is a dilemma. It understands that there's two stodim and it doesn't know how to resolve them. It could be like this. It could be like this. Which way do I go? Those are really the two types of questions. Then you've got an answer. An answer provides the information requested by the question. Then you've got a terrace, it resolves the difficulty in the kasha, and finally you have a raya. A raya substantiates, it proves, it gives weight to something which in its own right was unsteady. You only need a raya when there's something dodgy or difficult about the statement being presented, otherwise you don't need to prove it. You only need to prove something which needs to be proven. Are you following me? Yes? Okay, good. So now what I want to do is I want to take this system and apply it to our Gemara here. I just was to do the very first few lines of Hazorek in the Gemara just to illustrate the point. I don't want to go too far in the Suga because it may get too confusing. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says as follows. Minani Mili. So I'll tell you what, one second. Let's do this. What we'll do is we'll read through the Gemara three times in a loud happy voice. And, um, yes.
Gemara. Different, different, different tool set. So, in other words, this is part of structure, but this is all until now, all we're doing is structure. Now we're going to, later on we're going to powerful questioning and then we're going to. That's right. Any other questions? So now let's read in a loud, happy voice. The first part of the sugi, in other words, the part of the sugi until um, Okay, now this is where you kind of take away your English inhibitions and you pretend, one, pretend for one minute you've just come from California. So, says the Gemara, Hello? This is like a joint, this is, this is like a group experiment. Um, you all participate. This involves some type of like a vocal chords. Okay, let's let's try that again. Okay, I won't, I won't do that to you more than once. But the point is... <laughs> the point is, the point is, you all saw when you read it, did you see that you start to... You've, you've learned a nigun, in other words, you've learned a nigun which is a punctuation nigun. Which means that you intuit where the flow of the Gemara is by the, by the... Now there's some certain, there's milers, in other words, if you want to... If you want to like make it really, really... Uh, when, when I teach this to beginners, so then there's a whole shtick you can do, but it probably is not in the gap for you, but I'll teach it to you anyway, and it may come in handy one day. What you have to do is you have to, you have to describe to them, when people, people don't realize the importance of the, the thumb in learning, and the different thumb movements which are possible. I mean, there's the wide arc, there's the short thrust, there's the bringing in the left thumb, a very, very daring endeavor. And the point is, what you have to do, you have to make sure that the, the arc of the thumb reaches its final point with a song, sing-song graph intonation. So it goes something like this. So, you know, in the end of our Gemara, it would be Vyashmin and Ganov, Mishum de Kanzerach, you can always do the poke, Mishum de Kanzerach, Avoget, Emeloi, now, what you're doing is you have to get the throatiest intonation at the highest point of the thumb. So it's and the throatier you can get, the better it is. It's a myelin limit. So, what you do is you understand that actually through your using of your voice, using of your voice, you by, by implication you're suggesting meaning to the words. And you're making commitment about understanding. So when you force the person to read loud, you're already forcing him to say a pshat. You're forcing him to do something. Don't let him get away with mumbling the words. Clear and loud, clear and loud. So now what you want to do is we want to label. So we have to look at how many parts there are to this Gemara and under which one of these statements, which one of these labels do they fit. So I'm going to give that to you as a small two-minute project right now. Go for it. No, no, you can do it. No, I did it as a one-off thing, as a pure expression of my, as my way of making fun of English people and that's it.
Okay, let's give it a try. So now, I'll start for now, just for the sake of time, because we're pretty, pretty stretched. Minani um, Mili. So again, crucial, critical, we immediately see. In other words, if, you, if you're learning with the Talmud, it's often important to exaggerate the importance of things. So you say Minani Mili, and you go, ha what did I see there? If I'm not mistaken, it's a sneaky little katak. What does it mean, Chaimka? Goes on, is it on no, 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 clear explanation. So, as to say, Minani Mili is an information question, no agenda, seeking a scriptural source. Minani Mili always wants something from, from Tanakh, a scriptural source to the Bavdin. So, whatever it says in the Mishnah, I want to hear that. Where, where's the, which, which Pasuk does it come from? Minani Mili is, where's the Pasuk? Minani Mili part one, correct? Part one is a question. The Tonya Bonin. Oh, look what I saw there. If I'm not mistaken, that Tonya Bonin is a crucial, critical, some of the key phrase. What does the Tonya Bonin introduce? It introduces a. A price. What's the difference between Tanya and Tonya Bonin, Taka? Two statements which both introduce a price. So the Sipra Kalalim say the difference between a Tanya Bonin, you don't need to know this, but it's always good and impresses people. Uh, the difference between a Tanya and a Tanya Bonin is a Tanya Bonin was a Brysa which was Mephus Sambafi Koil, whereas a Tanya wasn't as well known a Brysa. Interesting. Anyway, the Tanya Bonin, so we learned in a Brysa. The Tanya Bonin, so there's a Brysa. And the Brysa says, Vernasan Bayada, that's a quote from the Pasuk. Aini Eloyado, I only know from the Pasuk that when you place the get in the hand of the woman that then and only then will she be divorced because it says Yada Gago Minayin Hadano her roof, her chatzer and her porch. Talmud Laimar Venasan Mikol Mokoim. So the truth is that itself is a is is, is a standard is a standard maneuver. The Aini Ella Talmud Loima. You could also teach that as a standard maneuver. But we're not going to go into that. We'll just see the point. The point is that another point I'd like to say, which we discussed in the Mishnah, but you see it reiterate in the Gemara. Remember we said that whenever you approach a Mishnah, you should always assume the Pashtas and not assume the Chidush. We'll discuss this much more at length. 
But the truth is, whenever you're given a text, your natural assumption should always be the words mean what they say and they say what they mean. And only under duress of logical difficulty do you have the right to over, uh, override the language. You following me? In other words, whenever you approach a given text, you don't assume the words mean anything than they do. It says Vinasan Bayada. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means he put it in her hand. Maybe it means her chatzeh. Maybe it means a dag. There's a, pr- there's a principle in, in, in logic um, that people speak about. It's called Occam's Razor. Um, in Hebrew it's called Tafasta Murbaloi Tafasta. But in, in English it's actually a, it's, it's a, it's a logical principle known that you always say the simplest explanation. You never say something which is if it's unnecessary to explain what's in front of you, don't say it. So Vinas and Bayada, is there any problem with that? No. So Vinas and Bayada means Vinas and Bayada. You place the get in a hand. So therefore, that's why the Gemara starts off, the Brisa starts off and says, Eini Eleyada, based on the simple reading of the Pasuk, I, only need, I can only know it's referring to Yad because that's what it says. Gaga Chaseva Kaifi Nine, So it's a big shy that was Vinas and Mikomokam. I mean, how'd that help? Venas and Biyada, the Venasan is forming part of the Biyada. So that's when you'll see Rashi, we'll see there's a big tumult as to what this means. It's very strange. Good? But so far we have two parts. So we've solved the problem. Part number one is a question. Where's the Makor for the Mishnah? Where do we know? Where's the scriptural source for the fact that that she's Mugureshis? The answer is quite simple because it says Venasan Nikomokim, even in her Chatzir. Correct? Good. Vitanya Namiyaki. Now I know Vitanya Namiyaki is a attack. And I know what the goal of attack is. Vitanya Namiyaki means it's coming to bring a riot to the statement of an Amoya. Oops. Big problem. There's no Amoya speaking over here. There's just been a Shaka and Taira where there's been Ravin Ravashi asking a Shaila and the Brysa is answering it. So you can't bring a Tanya Namiyaki to a Brysa. So now you, you learn another very important rule about Katex is there are exceptions to the rule. <laughs> You teach them the rules wholeheartedly and you tell them Tanya Namachi always means that it's a bride which is bought in Amoya. And then they get something like this and you say, this is the exception. But unless you know the rule, you can't find the exception. So this is the exception. So what the Chalau is Gemara doing over here? What do you mean with Tanya Namachi? What's the relevance of what the Gemara is doing? So let's see what the Gemara says. With Tanya Namachi Gabe Ganev. It says the same thing with Gabe Ganev. Yodo Yainiele Yodo Yagu Chazavu Kafi Fuminayin Tomu Leimar Himotse Simotse So right now we're not working on understanding. We're purely working on structure. So at this point in time, Himati sorry, So at this point in time, we're just working on structure. What do you, what's this? Is it a kasha, a teret, a raya, a statement? What is this? So raya, well, what, what point was, was needing clarification that we've corroborated with a higher source of evidence? Yeah, can sometimes mean more than just... You have a brysa. What does it help if you bring another brysa? This brysa is authoritative of the original brysa. But it shows that it's not... It's not who cares? What? Who cares? Because you don't like one-offs. You don't like one-offs. Okay. <laughs> who's we, pale face? Do you know the who's... That's another important... There's a... There's a... There's a logic, logic. No, no. In, okay. So, uh, can I just mention the who's we, pale face joke? You have to use this as well. In learning, your chavrusa will say... He'll say we. Whenever he says we, you must say who's we, pale face. Do you know the context of who's we, pale face? Who's we, pale face is coming from... Um, I, I don't know the real McCaw. Apparently, it's, um, it's a Lone Ranger movie. But, 
the Lone Ranger, you don't, you don't have to know what it is, I'll explain it to you in the context, you'll get it. Um, the Lone Ranger was this like Western cowboy hero, and he had a, faith, a faithful Indian companion, who's now called a Native American, and he, this, his, his Indian companion's name is Tonto, which I later found out is Spanish for idiot, not so complimentary. And <laughs> so Tonto and the Lone Ranger are, are riding down the plane, and um, all of a sudden the Lone Ranger goes, whoosh, and there's an arrow flies by his ear. He looks behind him and the entire hillside is covered with Apache Braves, these British Indians. And the, the chief utters a cry and they're upon them. And the Lone Ranger with his faithful steed, Silver, tries to escape and he's galloping, galloping, galloping. And alongside him is his Indian companion, the gallop, and they go between ravines and craters and eventually they get to a dead end and they don't know where to go. And they look behind them and these Indians have surrounded them and they have their arrows poised to shoot. And the Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and he says, Tonto, my faithful Indian companion, we're in trouble. To which Tonto replies, who's we, pal face? Pal. You can get the joke, okay. okay. <laughs> pale face. Indians refer to white people as pale face. Tonto says, I'm on their side. Who's we, pale face? Meaning, don't include me in your Taurus. You got it? Okay, it's funnier when you understand it. So, but the point is, you can still use it. You can still use it. You can, whenever someone says, when they, try to, when they try to make you part of their group, you say, who's we, pale face? Okay, you don't have to explain the joke always. You can just say, who's we, pale face? And eventually, they'll get it. <laughs> so, 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 you could say that when we see things repeated, it, it, it confirms the logic because it's not just a one-off. But the Lechaya, why can't it should be one-off? So, why can't... Go, yeah, why, they can be, but it's better. It's a mahala. But it's a tanya namach yisveh. Is there anyone else who's got a different mahala? So I, I, I'd like to suggest a different mahala. Okay. And it's based on what the Gemara says next. But tzricha. Now but tzricha, as you all know, is a <laughs> you've spotted it, I've crossed it. It's an answer we've said before. You said before, and you're learning it, that they are I've never lost in the comma phone. I've never lost in the comma phone. It's funny, you they know we have now such a phenomenon of Nasim Kamaka. We're backing up this, this very ah. interesting introduction of Nasim Kamaka. Otherwise, there'll be one up. Uh, how did you know that? No, no, no. Nasim Kamaka doesn't really explain itself properly. Okay, and he wants to explain something. Oh! There's another such a thing. Oh, thanks. There's another one up. Back when I'm saying. So there's implied Kasha. And then this. How's he Matis Matis solve the problem? So, so what I would like to respectfully suggest is as follows. Sorry? Oh, it's a kasha. It's a kasha. How's a kasha? Meaning as follows. You see it's a kasha from the fact that it says with tzricha. Now we all know. <laughs> we all know what it is. Tzricha is a crucial, crucial, only the key phrase. Now what is the function of a tzricha? The function of a tzricha is when you have two allegedly how these words? I learned the Franco Farad. They have two allegedly redundant statements. The Tzricha introduces an argument why one cannot be inferred from the other. So really this is our Kdama to Akasha. The Kdama to the Kasha is, the Kasha is, it's a kasha. The kasha is, why do I need a Gabe getting? I already learned it out from Ganef. what? That yodo always means rishus. It doesn't mean yad. In other words, it's a kasha. Why do I need to be taught twice that yodo means rishus and not yad? If I know from Ganav, I can infer to get in. 
or it could be the kasha is the other way around and now you have to start thinking perhaps it's the other way around why do I need it like if I can learn from getting to Ganef and Taka the Gemara does it both ways you follow me? so really the Vitanya Namiyachi is used in an exceptional way to introduce a kasha and the kasha is why does the Limud need to be taught twice? good? great? sorry? no, that's, that's a problem Tanya Namiyachi never means that that's a problem that's why we got so confused Okay, so now, so you got part one, a question. Where's the Makor? Part two, an answer from Anasun the Yoda. The Yoda means Gagratabi. Part three is a Kasha. Why? But it's, it's, not an impl- it's not an explicit Kasha, it's an implicit Kasha. Why do I need it, t- why do I need it twice? Part four, but Tzricha introduces the argument, it introduces the terrace. You following me? So the Sugi is structured. Question, answer, kasha, terrets. Yes? It's an unspoken question. So yeah, no one said, no one said. Well, it can't be. You're right, it can't be. But over here it has to be, because otherwise Vitzricha doesn't work. You know, that, that's another thing that you have to... The trickers are answering a hidden question. With what the hidden question? The hidden question is there's two sources which seem to be apparently redundant because they're saying the same thing twice. How do you resolve this? That's a hidden question. So that's not spelt out. So, I'm saying Tanya Namiyachi means why do you need to say it here? But Tanya Namiyachi, you've written like this twice. So now the Gemara comes and says, don't worry, Tzricha. You follow me? In other words, So now that's a difficulty. I have no idea. <laughs> you don't. Remember that you never have to answer the Talmud. Um, why not? Because, because sometimes it's actually very harmful to always give answers. It's also very harmful never to, give, to never give answers, but sometimes it's very harmful to give an answer. You have to know there's something called the power of the unanswered question. The power of the unanswered question means is that you know and I know, and we have done that, we've done it, we've done it, we've done it, we've done it. We've done the what thirst is to water, what thirst is to water, questions are to Chochmah. If you're thirsty, water tastes good. If you're not thirsty, water tastes. If you have a kasha, Chochmah tastes mm, If you have no kasha, mm. so when, I, when you ask a kasha, now, that's a kasha, this Gemara has been bothering me for a long time. When I see a Rishon that gives a terrace, I go, ah, this is amazing. If I never have the kasha and I see the Rishon, so so, so it doesn't, in other words, you're right, it's a problem, it's a problem. So I'm not going to steal the joy of the potential answer in the future by trying to come up with some joy answer. If I have an answer on the spot, sometimes it's better not to say it. Say, you know, I don't let me think about that for 24 hours, and you tell him the next day, it will be much more appreciated. You, never, you don't have to answer every kasha, on the contrary, you can, you can ruin the person by answering every kasha. Sometimes they have to live with it, but you have to make it strong enough that they actually want to live with it. Sorry? Hey, but that's I mean, that's an answer. They're saying, "What's your kasha?" The Gemara over here doesn't make sense. You say the Gemara doesn't always make sense. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So now what we've done, we've successfully achieved going through the stage which is known as structure. We've come to the sugya, we've used our labels to apply it to the different stages, and we come up with minohanimili is a crucial critical in question, answer. Kasha, Teretz. So that's structure. We haven't understood a single thing yet. 
We don't understand any of the Shakrantara, but we know what the Shakrantara is. But we don't understand anything. That's called lower order thinking skills. All we're trying to do is get the order straight. If the order is not straight, then you can't get anything straight. Now the next stage that you want to do, and in this Gemara it's not so Nogaya, it's called identification. So once you've done this, you want to identify ID. Which means you have to name the different um, players in the Shakrantara. You have to be able to say who spoke when. Now, in this Gemara, it's not really relevant because the whole thing is the anonymous Gemara. When you have the anonymous Gemara, so it's a, you, that's the opinion of Ravashi. They're the redactors of the Gemara. They put it together. You have a kasha. There's no makshin. You have a, you, you, sorry, not a makshin. There's a, there's a shayla. There's no makshin. You have a chuva. There's no person giving the chuva. You have a kasha. There's no one asking the kasha. And you have a terrace and there's no one really giving the terrace. So it's all the stammer de Gemara. But sometimes you have a shakla entire and there's a whole list of them around and if you don't make careful notice of who's saying what at what point in time so then it really leads to confusion and you don't get the shakla entire so really the next stage would be and it's not the Gaviyan is identification once you've read through and translated in a very loud voice and then you've gone through and you've numbered and labeled and you've so now we say we've got four parts and we know what the four parts are we have a, a, a shayla, a tshuva, a kasha, a terrace and then you have to identify who's the maksha who's the tarot and who's bringing the following me now, one thing before we have to finish, and that is, um, let's speak a little bit, it's really not so much for structures going on to the next thing, but it's a general point. It's called the integrity of the Havamina. Now, I wish I would have brought, but I forgot, um, the words of Rabbi Yitzhak Confinton, but I'll summarize them for you in English, but you can read it up yourself in the original Lashon Kodesh. He says the following thing. He says, you have to realize that, uh, this is a book called Daikab Kladah Um So, you have to realize that we, we are used to, some people make the awful, dreadful, terrible mistake of thinking that the Gemara is half stupid and half clever. Meaning that the Havaminas are silly, because when you get the terrorists, <laughs> of course. Um, that's a terrible, 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 terrible mistake. First of all, because it's partially wrong. Because when you're aware of this, you see how much time the Rishonim spend trying to understand Havaminas. But Stam, it's, 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 it's a bizarre on, on, on the cover of the Chachamim that they thought of stupid Havaminas. So you have to realize, and you have to drum this in your Talmudim, the integrity of the Havamina. Every single Havamina, essentially, the difference between the Havamina and the Maskana for us is purely academic. In terms of the weight that each one has, they weigh exactly the same. There's nothing less Svaradic in the Havamina than there is in the Maskana. It just happens to be that the Svaras shift. So you don't see the Havamina in the Maskana, and this is Pasha, but you have to drum it in. You don't see the Havamina in the Maskana as right and wrong. You see there's two different shittas. So Machlok is on how to see it. And what changes from the Havamina to the Maskana is not information. What changes from the Havamina to the Maskana is the way you see the information. You follow me? The Marshall in Agamora. Agamora starts off by saying that there's a repeat. Why do you need two psukim for Yodo? One to have the one pasuk, I think further add one from another. And then the Gemara comes up with the Trichasa of why do you need both? That means that the Maksha, when he asked the Kasha, he held that you could learn one out from another. That means he's Chalek on the Svara that you use to be Mechalek. So what you can think to yourself is, so what Svara does he have that he holds a Chiluk is not a Chiluk? Are you following me? That's called the integrity of the Havamina. You have to hammer this home, that the Havamina is as powerful and as viable as the Maskana. Happens to be that we go like the Maskana, but not like the Havamina. But the truth is, we very many, many times we go like the Havamina as well. You'll see in Chivasvarim, how they often use a part of the Havamina which is not rejected. Because the Havamina itself is also true, just for whatever reason it's rejected. And sometimes the reason that it's rejected is not pertinent to answer the difficult Halachic Shaila. So you have to drum in the integrity of the Havamina. 
So to sum up, what we've learned today now is when you're approaching a Gemara, the first thing you do is read through it in a loud and happy voice three to four times. Then you have to go down and number and label so that you've got the structure very solidly down. And this is before any type of understanding. At this point in time, you put all kashas aside. Then you have to identify who are the players in the Gemara. Now, once you've done that, just as the last thing, if you can get your Tommy to do this, it's worth gold. If you can get him to do this, he has to be motivated. But if you can get him to do this, if you give him, you have in your pocket sweets, money, a credit card, if you can get him to do this, so it's worth gold, say the Shaklan Tyre over Balpe. Close your Gemara and say it over Balpe. If you can get him to say it over Balpe, you have no idea how that will help him in his Avonah. You have no idea. As much as the reading aloud is saying it over in your own words, Dafka using your own words, Dafka saying it over in English and not saying it over in the Lashna Gemara, you have no idea how valuable that is to defeat the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student to his vagueness. Thank you very much. Goodbye.